The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, in tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his king of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. There's been a shift um, over the years in my feelings um, around this season. As a kid, uh, Christmas was far and away my favorite time of year. I loved the tradition uh, of it. I loved getting up in the morning and seeing the tree um, and seeing all the presents. And my parents did a really great job um, of, of making it look like we had a lot of gifts. They really, um, they were very generous at this time of year. And so I just remember coming out as a little kid and seeing all of the gifts and seeing the lights and all the, the beauty of everything that was going on in the house. I remember very specifically like it was yesterday, uh, the smell of coffee cake in the house, which is uh, what my mom always made. Um, on Christmas morning, and I just loved everything about it. And as the years progressed and moved on, my affection and my love for the season kind of dwindled a little bit. I still loved Christmas itself. I always loved what it represented. I loved the story that it communicated about who Jesus is and, and his love for us. But my affection for the trappings of the season kind of dwindled. And it probably hit a low point um, right after we were married, mainly because I realized all of a sudden that I was the one responsible for the decorations. Uh, and my wife, uh, just being the generous person that she is, you know, she would invite me to help, and I didn't really want to do it because I didn't know what I was doing, but I would hang the ornaments on the tree, and then she very graciously would follow around behind me and fix the placement of my ornaments because I didn't know what I was doing. But I remember maybe the second Christmas that my first son was born, I remember that was the Christmas for me that everything kind of shifted and changed because it was the first time that I was able to see his excitement for the season. And overnight, all of a sudden, I was Clark Griswold. I mean, I'm, we're going to, the, to get the Christmas tree right after Thanksgiving, and we're bringing it home, and we're setting it up, and we're putting the lights and the ornaments, and all of a sudden, I'm buying lights for the outside of the house, and we're doing all of these things, and I just love everything about it. And I think what that communicates to us is that there is something about Christmas that is special, not only for what it represents, but for the anticipation that we have about its arrival. Anticipation is a huge part of what happens at Christmas, and all you need to do is look at kids this time of year to see it. And nowhere do we see anticipation more than in the book of Isaiah, because what we find in the text that was read for us so, uh, so well by Isaac tonight is uh, we, we, we are introduced to a people who, according to Isaiah, had walked in great darkness, 
There are people that in many ways are just like us. They saw the brokenness of the world around them. They saw the deterioration of a society and a culture that they had known and loved. They they heard of wars, in fact, had experienced war in their own region. In fact, Assyria, a neighboring nation, had captured portions of, of Israel and was on the verge of taking over. Their existence had been a painful one. They had lost sons and husbands and fathers to war. They had experienced brokenness in their families. They had experienced helplessness and hopelessness, and they felt abandoned. And maybe some of you this evening feel the same way. That circumstances have come into your life that are beyond your control. That difficulties have crept in in ways that you wouldn't have expected. That there's a cloud of uncertainty over everything that you experience. That you're worried that you have more than you can handle. And that circumstances are beyond your control. And the question that Isaiah poses and that we have to wrestle with is, what if our deepest problem, the problem underneath all of the other problems, what if our deepest need is brought about by the fact that we are trying to live life without God? Because the message that Isaiah gives to these people is the same message that he has for us nearly 3,000 years later. I mean, this book is written about 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, and still millennia later, we wrestle with the same anxieties and the same worries of the soul. And what Isaiah wants you to understand in this evening, as he was writing this 2,700 years ago, is that you needed help from someone outside of yourself. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, what Isaiah tells us is that that help is going to come from an unexpected place. I'll read it for you. Here's what it says. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And here's all that means in case you're, in case you're wondering what it means. The original Jewish audience upon hearing this would have been shocked to hear these words. Because what Isaiah was declaring to them is that salvation and a savior was coming from this area of the country called Galilee. It was a remote, war-torn nation. It was a backwater village. No one famous or important had ever come from this place before. And the Jews had all sorts of anticipation about the coming Messiah, about the one who would bring freedom and peace and salvation to their people. And they expected him to start that work in Jerusalem, the capital city, but instead, God brings salvation from the most unexpected place. Because Jesus, born 700 years later, is born in a tiny village called Nazareth, a place that is far from fitting for a king. He was born in a manger, literally a trough where animals would eat. He was born to a poor family. His father, Joseph, a carpenter, not a government official, not a diplomat or a ruler, and his mother, Mary, who was an unmarried, pregnant teenager. See, this family would have been labeled for the rest of their lives because of the circumstances in which they found themselves. But by doing all of this, Jesus was making himself accessible. From his earliest days, Jesus had experienced difficulty in every way that we have. And so God brought about a savior in a way that no one would have expected. And look how he brings that about beginning in verse two. Here's what it says. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness. On them light has shone. And the phrase that's translated deep darkness in our Bibles literally translates death shadow. I mean, Isaiah is is painting a grim picture here. He's saying the suffering that the people of Israel were experiencing is suffering that we know all too well. That they were experiencing the brokenness of relationship with God and that affected everything about who they were, about every relationship they had in their lives, about every element of the way that they lived, the sickness and the death that they experienced, the injustice that their nation experienced. Everything was touched by this death shadow brought about by sin, that humanity, both spiritually and experientially, was under death's shadow. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where, where it was so dark that you could not see in front of you. The quintessential example of this, at least in my life, is I remember uh, on one occasion going into a cave, and as we were doing this tour of the cave, the, the tour guide stopped and said, now, for a moment, we're going to turn out the lights, and I just want you to stand where you are and don't move, because it can be a little bit disorienting to people when we do this, but we're going to turn out the lights, and after a moment, your eyes will adjust, and when you think that your eyes have adjusted, just put your hand in front of your face and see what you can see. And so as she turned the light off, I stood there in darkness, waiting for my eyes to adjust, and it never came. It is a disconcerting feeling to be in a place of deep darkness. And what it creates within you is a longing for light. And this is what Isaiah is saying the human experience is made up of, that no matter what your, world, your religious view is or your worldview is, we recognize inherently a need for light. And so what is the source of that light? Where does that light come from? Because if we look around us at the world in which we live, philosophers and writers and politicians and philanthropists will suggest in one way or another that the light dwells within us. And our classic Christmas stories are riddled with that idea. It's the idea of Ebenezer Scrooge after being shown his life, discovering that he actually has the capacity for generosity and humility. It's the Grinch who stole Christmas for the first time in his life, experiencing love and generosity and having his heart grow several times over. And so all of us would admit, yes, the world is broken, and the answer of this world is if we look deep within ourselves, we'll work it out. But the problem is that as much as people pursue that answer, both personally and societally, things seem to get worse. And Isaiah is saying that a light is going to shine on those who've only experienced darkness, that there is light and there is life, but it's not inside of us trying to break out, it is outside of us trying to break its way in. And so what is that light? Look at verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And this is the promise of the book of Isaiah, that God himself would enter the fray, that he would break into the darkness of humanity, that a son would be given, that this one who would usher in the supernatural change that we so desperately need and perceive in our world was going to be given to us, that he wasn't going to be earned because of our own good deeds, he wasn't going to be obligated to us because of our religious efforts, but that he was going to be given as a gift and not only is he going to be given, but notice then what Isaiah says, he's going to be given to us. 
See, Isaiah in this moment is trying to apply the truth to the individual, to you, so that you can put your name in that verse. Unto Jonathan, a son was born. Unto Jonathan, a savior was provided. And truthfully, that's a hard thing for us sometimes to grasp. It is easy for us to understand and believe in the generic love of God. But the idea that He loves me with all my faults and all my failures and all my sins, that He loves me. And what Isaiah is communicating is that Jesus is given to those who desperately needed a Savior, to those who are lonely and afraid, to those who are jaded and doubting, to those who are guilty and hopeless. Christmas is for you. Because look what he says the Savior is going to be, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. That there's nothing about you that is unknown to Jesus, that he knows the things about you that no one else knows, and he even knows the things about you that you are not aware of. That he knows what it's like to be unloved, to be abandoned, to be mistreated, to be misunderstood. That his name shall be given Mighty God. That Jesus is not just another prophet, not just another teacher, not just another religious guru or a good person, but that he is inherently God. That there is nothing in this world that is beyond his influence, his authority, and his control. That his name shall be called Everlasting Father. That Jesus, in becoming your new source of life, functions as a father for you, that he is a father who never leaves and never forsakes, who never hurts and never disappoints, but always loves and cares for you perfectly. And his name shall be called Prince of Peace, that he is the one who has the authority to renew what is broken in this world. And those four titles reveal what it looks like when God himself steps into time and is born humbly as a baby. And understand that no other religion and no other philosophy in this world can make that claim. There are religions that claim that their prophets were sent from God, that we can know God, that God can be appeased. But this claim is one that is exclusive to Christ. That God loved you so much that he was willing to become a man. And because Jesus Christ is fully man, he can empathize with us perfectly with our temptation and our suffering and our pains and our difficulties. And because he is fully God, he has the ability to save and restore. So why do we have confidence that God will actually do what he promised he would do? Verse 7, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We have confidence because it is God's power that is behind God's plan. One commentator said it this way, by saying the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this, God is essentially saying, I am the God of unshakable plans. I will accomplish everything I intend to accomplish and nobody, nobody will frustrate my plans. The title Lord of Hosts means I am commander-in-chief of heaven's innumerable angels and unbelievable resources. 
The Lord of hosts stands, not only as a God of unshakable plans, but of unlimited resources as well. And when he speaks, he speaks with ultimate authority. This was the initiative behind Christmas. That Christ came into the world with all the resources of heaven behind him. All the forces of heaven stood on tiptoe, weapons in hand, anxiously awaiting his slightest command. That no one can dissuade him, no one can stop him, no one can undermine or undo what he intends to accomplish. So when verse 2 says that the light breaks into a darkness, it is a reminder that God is always the initiator. That when God sets his divine affection and love on you, he was willing to go to the ends of the earth to rescue you. That it was not your ascent to some moral standard that earned your acceptability before God, but, but it was his humble descent as a baby born in Bethlehem to use the words of this text, that Jesus himself had to experience the shadow of death in order to usher you out of it. See, Jesus, who lived the perfect life that we could never live, paid the price of our salvation by becoming sin for us and dying in our place. And if you're wondering why you were given a candy cane on your way in today, that is why a reminder of the purity and perfection of his life and the pain of his crucifixion. See, when Jesus was on the cross, the Bible says that there was darkness over the earth for the space of three hours, and it was in that moment that Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That Jesus experienced death's shadow so that you would never have to. That he took our abandonment and our shame and our wrath so that we would be saved and adopted into his family. That Jesus knew God as judge so that you could know him as father. See, Jesus didn't make a list and he didn't check it twice. He didn't make sure we were worthy. He took our sin and he nailed it to a cross never to view it again. And the Bible says that he raised from the dead three days later to bring life and light to what was dead and dark. See, that was the gift to you at Christmas. So God isn't looking to accept you because of what you can offer. Rather, he accepts you because of what Jesus did for you. And so the question that I hope you'll consider is do you know Jesus this way? He desires for you to know him. He invites you to know him. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray for you. And I just want to extend an invitation to you that if you're here and you don't know Jesus in this way, if all of this is new to you, if it's confusing to you, if you're wrestling with these ideas, or maybe like the Israelites, you find yourself in darkness, desperate for light, would you come talk to us? We'd love the opportunity to talk with you further about this. And then after we pray, we're gonna receive candles, and because we're in a school, we're not allowed to have open flames, so you're gonna receive electric candles, but hopefully the effect will be similar. 
But as those are distributed to you, you can turn them clockwise to, to turn them on. But just in the midst of all that, remember what it is we're doing. It's not just a simple tradition. It is a picture that the light that Jesus brought into this world continues to glow today. It continues to move and expand and press out as he establishes a kingdom of grace. And that's what we remember in this time. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the beauty of this time of year, for the simplicity of stories that are so familiar to us, and yet stories that are so poignant and so significant that they not only change our mind, they change our heart and bring to life what was once dead. And so God, let us see the beauty that the king of the universe was born in a manger. And let us see the beauty of Joseph and Mary and Jesus loving one another and caring for one another. But God, do not allow us to simply view it through that sentimental lens. But to remember that that child grew up, that his name was Jesus, that he lived the perfect life we could never live, that he died the death that we deserved, and that he rose from the dead to conquer death and hell and the grave. That the light that entered into the world 2,000 years ago burns on today. And we thank you for your love and your pursuit of us. And it's in your most beautiful name that we pray. Amen.